Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And welcome to the Billboard Chart Free Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard Senior Director of Charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And third voice in and a third chart manager at Billboard. It's Eric Frankenberg. I'm the box score touring chart manager at Billboard. All right, we're going to be talking touring this week on the Billboard Chart Free Podcast. Back from uh, vacations a little bit, I was on uh, Cape Cod for a week eating the most nutritious food known to people, fried whole belly clams. Trevor, you were in England, right? Celebrating from afar. Um, always when I'm over there, try to get a little sense of what's happening in the UK. And uh, Glastonbury, you know, is right there at the end of June, a huge festival that they have out in the country over there. And um, I mean, I guess most, like most things, really, obviously the things that are, you know, dominating the world's, the worldwide sphere have made their way over there. Obviously, at Old Town Road is a huge thing. When I first was over there last time a couple years ago, like it felt like Bodak Yellow didn't quite catch on, but Cardi B's like now certainly become a thing. Still probably on the reverse trend, somebody who has not made it, made their way across the Atlantic successfully. Uh, Stormzy Skepta, I mean, they were huge still in 2017 last time I was there. Now still there. I think uh, Stormzy, I think Stormzy, I believe, was the one who headlined Glastonbury. So that's, you know, almost six figures in terms of the crowd size, but... Still, you know, that grime did not make its way I was going to say, I feel across. like we've been talking about this for a little bit, that it's been a big thing over there and still yeah, waiting for that breakthrough. Yeah, it's one here. of the few, it's kind of gotten stonewalled. I mean, every, every other genre has kind of made its way, you know, around the world and into the States. But that, that one is that one is really, really, really having a hard time uh, getting past uh, customs. It seemed like at one point Kanye and Drake were giving grime enough cosigns that it was going to push over the edge, but I guess it just didn't quite. And I, you know, I wonder if because sometimes Twitter, you know, has this little jokes and kind of things. And there's something, I guess, about like hearing, like, I guess because America's the home of hip hop, and you know, it was, it was like a really is a homegrown genre here in the states. That maybe there's something about the type of, you know, even the type of voice that you expect on a hip hop track for the longest time. It's been like, you know, a pretty deep voice, like a, you know, a very masculine voice or whatever. And so I wonder, like, some people wonder if that, like, our stereotypes sort of make it hard, like, hear a British, like, voice, like, over a hip-hop beat, and if that just sort of, like, 
just sort of like makes you pause and you don't really like take it either take it seriously or you just you maybe you can't quite understand everything with the accent because i think definitely like like you know here's a here's a piece of like 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 a skepticism like a bullet from a gun it burns when you realize she was never your girl it was just your turn you gotta face your demons don't matter how much money you earn like you can definitely hear you know that's i mean that's just like a that's a hundred percent british and maybe some people just think that that's a hard thing you know for american audiences to sort of wrap their head around when you hear hip-hop beat and not sort of a hip-hop voice with it anyway that's just you know that's my takeaway from from what i learned on my summer vacation so yeah still uh, still wonder i mean feels like of course this time if, if it hasn't crossed over now i don't know how grime will make it but yeah, feels like that's, that's that's one ship the U.S. did not get on board with. All right. Uh, this week, we're going to recap, as always, the Billboard Hot 100. Big news on the Hot 100 with Old Town Road. It's getting towards the record. Uh, so we'll talk about that history that uh, feels like it's uh, right on the horizon. Uh, new song debuts in the top 10. Some interesting songs on other charts as well. And uh, Eric, you're going to run down all things touring uh, related. It's time for Billboard's mid-year touring charts. So we're going to get into uh, who's ruling uh, summer stages, who's been big for the first half of the year. And uh, we'll just get into uh, everything about tours. So uh, we're also going to recap some shows that we've seen uh, as well recently. So it's all coming up right now this week's top 10 on the Billboard Top 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, Two, one. Number 10. Huh? Packing the mail, it's gone. Uh, she like I smell cologne. Yeah. I just signed a deal, I'm on. Yeah, yeah. I go where I want, good. good. Play if you want, let's do it. Huh? I'm a young CEO, sure. Yeah, yeah. Number 9. Then you're left in the dust. Unless I stuck by you. You're a sunflower. I think your love will be too much. Or you'll be left in the Number eight. I'm a sucker for all the subliminal things. No one knows about you, about you, about you, about you. And you're making the typical me break my typical rules. It's true. I'm a sucker for you. Yeah. Number seven. Fresh photos with the bomb lighting. No man on the Minnesota Vikings. True first need something more exciting. Number six. Cause I don't care when I'm with my baby, yeah. All the bad things disappear. You're making me feel that maybe I am somebody. I can deal with the bad nights when I'm with my baby, yeah. Number five. I love it when you call me, senorita. I wish I could pretend I didn't need ya. But every touch is ooh la la la. It's true la la. Number four. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about where we're going before we get lost. Let me be out of the way. I've never felt like this. Number three. I want you out of my head. I want you out of my bedroom I'm no good at goodbyes. We're both acting insane. But Number two. I'm that bad type. Make your mama sad type. Make your girlfriend mad type. Might seduce your dad type. I'm the bad guy. 
Duh. And number one. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Yo, one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, 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 we're at 15 weeks of Old Town Road being at number one. Uh, Lil Nas X, Billy Ray Cyrus still holding strong atop the chart. If you are a lamb, if you are a believer, if you are a whatever they call fans of Boys to Men, Daddy Yankee, and or Luis Fonsi, you are probably a little bit nervous because, yes, Old Town Road is just one week away from tying the all-time record for it most weeks at number one here on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, I mean, who who would have thought the first time we came across Old Town Road? Who knew we had a future potential record tying, maybe still even record setting hit in our midst? Looks like uh, Justin Bieber, who actually co-holds this record with the song Despacito from 2017. He's back out with the remix of the song Bad Guy by Billie Eilish that uh, actually came out last Thursday. Maybe somebody had some mistiming there. So, uh, But really the full impact of it is going to come on next week's chart. That might be the one and only thing that could uh, stop Old Town Road from making it a nice sweet 16 at number one. Yeah, I think with how big of an event Old Town Road has become, I think we need an event to overtake it. And I thought maybe Justin Bieber being on the bad guy remix would be something that kind of took over on social media and everyone would be sharing it and it would via word of mouth catapult itself to number one. And I haven't really seen that momentum. I'm sure believers are going crazy listening to it, but has it reached, you know, the kind of cultural conscience consciousness that old town road has occupied for the last Many months. If there were an official video, that might have helped. Maybe. Things. Although that picture, obviously, of a younger right. uh, Billie Eilish and her Bieber fandom uh, when she was younger uh, is, has had some buzz. But uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe lack of video is going to hurt things a little bit. Yeah. What will also be kind of weird is, uh, I mean, a lot of people have been kind of tracking what Old Town Road has been able to block out of the way. We've seen two Taylor Swift songs settle for number two. We've seen two Shawn Mendes songs settle for number two so far. And depending on how the credit goes next week for Bad Guy, we may see two Justin Bieber songs yeah. have to settle for number two as well. And who would have thought, you know, at any point in 2019 that those three acts would, uh, you know, go 0 for 6 trying to get to number one? Yeah, I think as each week, as each new superstar unveiled a new song and we thought, okay, maybe this is the one that's going to do it, and then it, it continued to not happen, I think you need to calm down. The, ta- the second Taylor Swift single was the last time that I really – thought, okay, this is going to be it. And she did the rollout. She handled the rollout very well. It was a song that was timely during Pride Month. She had a music video that was so star-studded, so many cameos. She had a lot going on. Obviously, Taylor Swift is one of the biggest stars on the planet. And the idea of her having a new album coming out usually sends the early singles to number one. And when that didn't happen, it kind of felt like, okay, this maybe the record's going to be broken this time by Old Town Road. One thing I'm thinking is uh, for so long, for, for over 20 years, for 21 years, once we had the record, it almost kind of seemed like this might be a totally unbreakable record. And now it's looking like just in the last two years, uh, we might have two 16-week number ones. So 
hasn't even happened yet. Old Town Road hasn't tied or broken the record, but maybe that means with uh, the way streaming now can keep a song at number one because songs that are that big get such huge numbers. It just solidifies their standing at number one. Maybe this is something we're going to keep seeing and, and not to, to minimize the, the absolute uh, pop culture impacts that Despacito and now Old Town Road have had. They've just taken over like very few songs historically ever have. But if this has now happened a couple times in the last two years, maybe this is going to happen again next year or a year from now. And something's going to keep having this type of uh, meme impact and just uh, totally control pop culture that – even before the record might be broken, I'm already looking at what else might break it after that. But maybe that's where we're headed chart-wise uh, going forward, at least uh, as streaming is the dominant metric on the Hot 100. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because I think I think for a minute there, and you know, I'm sure m- maybe other people who are smarter than me didn't realize this. Sort of the conversation about streaming became, you know, you know, you can you sort of can stream so many songs so quickly that it was more like a like a case of, you know like a new song coming along every day and sort of becoming the new conversation. So nothing really felt like it was going to be able to, to reign for something quite that long. It was just, you know, as soon as every three weeks it's uh, okay. Now there's a new Rihanna song or now there's four new Justin Bieber songs. And now there's two new Drake songs. And no one was going to sort of have that, that, that pure stranglehold um, just because of the way timing and release strategies and everything worked. And it's funny now that, yeah, like the flip side of that is, you know, streaming. I mean, it's, just so many of these songs can stream for so long and never really go away. And and I think whether it's just different audiences finding out about it, people listening on playlists and, you know, sort of getting it curated for them in that way. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's something that's kind of crazy is like the, I don't say the sort of the stagnancy of streaming, but, but kind of to that effect that, you know, people thought it was going to just be quick, 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 and really, yeah, I mean, you look even like a song like Sunflower, still in the top 10 for Post Malone, 30 weeks in. The song came out in October. People still like eating that up, just, you know, not backing off of it, just inch by inch by inch. So, um, yeah, kind of kind of cool to see. All right. So one song we thought that might have had a chance this week, the latest one we thought that could uh, come in brand new and make enough of a splash that it uh, maybe had a chance to be number one. Debut is number three. That's uh, Post Malone and Young Thug, uh, new at number three with Goodbyes. So really good debut, but uh, number two in streams, number two in sales behind Old Town Road, which is uh, number one in both metrics. So uh, yeah, uh, add that to the list. Not the next number two uh, at the moment, but uh, number three. And again, that points to uh, Bad Guy, which had a little bit of a bump because of those last few hours of the Bad Guy remix that came out uh, for the tracking week for this chart. So uh, still a good debut, but uh, just sort of feels like it pales uh, in comparison to everything going on with Old Town Road. Uh, Post Malone, the artist, has the big debut. Post Malone, the song, is a hit as well. We go yeah, that's the, uh, that's the impact of Post Malone in 2019. That, you know, anything with his name just turns to gold. It's a song that Sam felt on the Hot Dance Electronic Songs chart. It's called Post Malone. So Post Malone, the artist and song, uh, doing well. Also, uh, Beyond the Hot 100, number one on the Kid Digital Song Sales chart. King is out tomorrow as this posts on this Friday and that song by Beyonce number one on that chart Spirit also this song uh, from the same soundtrack debuts number five Can you feel the love tonight the peace
Beyonce, Donald Glover, Billy Eichner, not Billy Eilish, Billy Eichner, and Seth Rogen with uh, the new version of Can You Feel the Love Tonight, originally number four, Hot 100 hit by Elton John back in 1994. So Trevor, why am I so excited that that song's out? Beyonce and Donald Glover together? You're, sti- you're still right. I, I finally get to actually uh, time it to the song. What do you call Eric, Beyonce, Donald Glover? Together? Oh, get ready for this. Think long and think, think very Gary. I'm struggling. I'm trying to think of a pun that ties Beyonce with either Childish Gambino or his Destiny's Child part of it. I don't know. Ooh, you just said it. So close. Put it all together. Oh, Destiny's Childish Gambino. There you go. There it's go. like a Wheel of Fortune puzzle, you know? Like <laughs> I'm just excited to hear someone else say it, other than me. <laughs> all right. Other than uh, hearing bad puns and being very polite about them, Eric, you're here to talk to us uh, this week. So, uh, this is a big point for you uh, in the year, mid-year charts. What uh, what have you been busy with? Yeah, we um, in the magazine this week and online, we have the top 10 tours, the top 10 box scores, the top 10 venues of different capacity ranges, and the top 10 promoters of the first half of the 2019 tracking year for Billboard box score. Uh, so far, Elton John has the number one tour. Uh, between November and the end of April, he grossed $100 million, just over $100 million, um, with... Uh, his farewell tour it began last September, and I think it's going through or is scheduled to go through. It's going to end some point in 2021. So he could be on uh, many more recaps to come in the next few years. What a year he's having, though, when you consider that. Yeah, consider Rocket, Rocket Man yeah. movie. Uh, the Lion King back. He was such a big part of the original Lion King. It's all kind of yeah, it's all together at once. kind of timing perfectly to yeah, all of just his talent as a songwriter and as a pianist. Um, he's playing in Europe right now throughout the summer, and then I think he'll be back um, in the states at some point next year. I'm sure at some point he's going to Asia. I think he's going to be everywhere and anywhere. Um, so I'm yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. I think if we include September's grosses and October's grosses from when the tour started, we're around 130 or 40 million dollars. So this could end up being, you know, part of an all-time discussion by the time the tour's over. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a Speaking of the all-time discussion, Ed Sheeran's The Divide Tour, it's been going for about two and a half years. It just became the second tour in the history of Billboard box score to gross over $700 million. That is a really lot of money. Uh, The highest grossing tour of all time in our records is U2's 360 tour. That was in 2009. It ran through 2011, and that grossed $736 million. So Ed is actually pretty close to breaking the record. Um, he's only touring through the end of August, so it may be a nail biter down to the last date. But I and feel these are like these are like hard numbers, like not like inflation adjusted or anything like that. This is hard grosses. Okay. So yeah, if you, if you consider inflation, uh, you know, I'd have to look at the ticket count numbers if he's also you know as close to you two as he is in grosses. But regardless, it's a pretty impressive haul that he's had over the last two and a half years uh, touring behind Divide. 
Does that surprise you in the sense that if you're going to compare it to U2, you said it was 2009 to mm-hmm. 2011. That was what, over 25 years into U2's career right. at that point. So they're touring behind uh, just decades of hits. Ed Sheeran is doing this not even a decade into his career, and he sounds like he's you know, very possibly about to break the record. Does that surprise you that he's been able to do that uh, in such a quicker time span? It's very, very impressive. It's even impressive the fact that he's playing stadiums on his third album cycle, his third proper album cycle. Um, and I think it's even more impressive and surprising to me, and I would imagine many other people feel the same way, just because his music is so quiet and not only is his music quiet, but his show is really quiet. I think we talked about this last time when I was here that, you know, he's just up there with a guitar and a pedal and nothing else. And you see Taylor Swift with all of the production that she has and Beyonce with all of the backing dancers and the band that she has. And, you know, you expect a tour like that to be up for an all-time record, not just a guy in the middle of a stage singing some um, some upbeat songs, but a lot of slower, you know, acoustic songs. So not everything Ed Sheeran does is actually quiet. It's a song from the new album. It was just released Friday. Uh, Blow with Chris Stapleton and Bruno Mars. That rocks. We, we thought maybe Ed Sheeran uh, couldn't do that maybe anymore. But this song is really, really loud for Ed Sheeran. It is. He's he's a real rock artist. He's on the rock charts now at Billboard. Um, and who knows, maybe his next tour will incorporate some... Um, some uh, bigger sounds, bigger production, who knows. But hard to believe, I mean, hard to believe he found the time to record this album while doing all this touring. Like, the good thing about the guy's working. Yeah. No, he definitely is. The good thing about playing stadiums is that you don't necessarily need to be doing like three or four shows a week. Um, you're maybe only hitting the major markets in whatever continent you're in. So you can kind of work in your days off. Not to say that he's, you know, not incredibly hardworking, but. You can, you can, but the job. demand maybe like it's, it's not sort of back to back to back nights where it's just, yeah. you know, you're rushed off stage and then you're hitting the recording booth and not getting home till 3 a.m. and, you exactly. know, rinse, repeat. Okay. All right. All right, Ed, I take it back. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You'll mention the other acts, but there's a couple that sort of stood out to me. I want to ask you about if you thought that these are uh, typical to see on a list like this. So, again, these are the biggest mid-year tours from uh, November 1st, 2018 through the end of April. Uh, One of them is Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And if you just heard that, you might think, yeah, that's kind of weird. But – the time frame, I think, plays into it. And also from from what I know, I've never seen them in concert, but from what I know, it's it's a total rock event to see this act in concert. Yeah, I've never seen it either. Um, but 
to me, it almost feels like a niche kind of tour. It feels very uh, family oriented. Obviously, uh, it's seasonal. It plays every year. They play every year um, in November and December. The trick about Trans-Siberian Orchestra is that they actually have two touring bands. They have an East Coast band and a West Coast band, and they'll be doing you know, two shows a day in New York and then two the next day in Boston, but at the same time they're doing two in L.A. and two in San Francisco. Oh. So they actually played 89 shows between November 14th and December 30th, which is about, I don't know, 50 days or so, 45 days. Um, so they're able to really kind of maximize the holiday season. Uh, and they've actually been, if we look at that same time frame, November to April, this is the third year in a row that they've been in the top 10. So they're actually a very consistent touring entity. Um, and whether you think it's cheating or not that they have two bands on the road at the same time, yeah. it's working for them. Uh, I was When you had mentioned that you were curious about them, I looked up their history in our system, in our database. They have a career gross of $485 million. They've sold over 10 million tickets. So I guess... When uh, when the mid year charts roll around next year, you may not be too surprised to see them there again. Yeah, and every holiday season, uh, they're a big holiday hit. Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, it's a huge hit every yeah. year, and you wouldn't necessarily again maybe think of it top of mind, but when you hear the song every year in the holidays, it, it's become a modern classic. Yeah, it's kind of like I mean, we you know on our mid year charts, we or on all of our box score charts, really, we only include. Um, music acts, bands, and solo artists, um, as well as comedians. But the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, it kind of reminds me of the Radio City Christmas Spectacular that also plays every year, you know, more than one show a day, at least on the weekends, and does crazy, crazy business. Just surprised me because obviously it's a huge name, but to think maybe top tours of the year, Bob Seger is on this list. Yeah, he uh, Bob Seger is actually one of three tours in the top ten that is a farewell tour for the artist Elton John, who we talked about at number one. Kiss is at number five with what they're calling for now, at least their farewell tour. Who knows? They feel like one of those bands that has done it many times. Um, next year, Ozzy Osbourne will be on the road doing his farewell tour. Slayer is saying goodbye, so. I think people are, you know, jumping at the chance to see these artists one last time. Um, and, yeah, that has played very well for Bob Seger. Uh, let's we'll talk about one thing. I see Travis Scott coming in number six as the top hip-hop tour uh, of this of this period. Uh, beating out Drake, actually, who uh, comes in at number nine. Um, so, obviously, people, you know, it's well-known hip-hop is the top consumed genre in terms of, of, of sales and streams. Uh, what is what is hip-hop's relationship with touring like? I mean, are, are those sales and streams translating, you know, only to really the top artists or are hip-hop tours up and down the bill really starting to get a lift from all this extra consumption? No, there's a lift. I mean, I, I think there's – touring maybe is just a couple years behind all of it because you have to get to the point where people are willing to – pay especially in arenas or stadiums even you have to get to the point where people are willing to pay 80 or 100 dollars for a ticket not just click on your song on a streaming service um you know i think five seven ten years ago there were only a handful of hip-hop acts that could handle a tour the size of travis scott's and um you know this year we have two in the top 10 travis scott and drake and 
We also, you know, Juice World has been touring in kind of scaled down arenas, big theaters size. Um, we've also seen Childish Gambino, Post Malone. Um, that's just in the last six months. So now I think we're at the point where um, because hip hop is the dominant genre on in, in streaming and sales and really across the industry as a whole, uh, the touring industry is catching up and we're seeing the box score charts reflect that. All right. So those are the mid-year charts uh, in print this week in Billboard on Billboard.com uh, Thursday, right? They're posting on Billboard.com mm-hmm. uh, when this uh, podcast posts. So uh, moving forward to summer shows so far, here we are in uh, mid-July. So you've already got a good uh, stable of uh, shows that have come in, have been reporting. Uh, we had you here uh, last time, Eric. We talked BTS. What good news can you give the Army about BTS's latest tour I numbers? I can give them incredible news. Uh, we, You know, we've continued doing these uh, monthly box score reports and uh you know next week we're going to have uh the june numbers out but for may bts had the biggest tour of the month they grossed over 50 million dollars in may and they'll certainly be on the june charts as well because they played a few dates internationally but um yeah it, it's pretty incredible they're a korean language seven piece boy band and they sold out six stadiums in the u.s uh, two in Brazil and then a handful in Europe. Um, altogether, I think it grossed about almost $80 million. And that's in, you know, just playing Saturdays and Sundays for about a month. Uh, that's very good business. They, uh, they're they playing some dates in Asia this month and they're playing um, in October, I believe, in Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia and South Korea. Um, so I imagine those numbers are going to, to be just as big, you know, especially as they go home to play, I think they'll be back on top of our charts or, or if not on the top, close to it. Uh, so a Saudi Arabia show is on cause I know Nicki Minaj right. recently had to, or recently chose to cancel her show after, you know, a lot of her fans sort of wanted to make her aware of some of the human rights abuses that are alleged going on in Saudi Arabia. As far as we know, BTS is still contracted to play. As nothing. far as I know, I was on their website minutes before we came down to record this, and it's it's listed there. So, I mean, I guess usually, I mean, maybe it only usually comes up as that date gets closer and people sort of realize that's the next Perhaps, stop on the tour. Yeah. But I'd be I'd be really interested if um I mean if, if the fans didn't sort of you know try to rally attention and and get the boys to uh to back out of that date, just given everything that's that's going on. And there's been other, I mean. I'm a tennis fan. There was a tennis match that was supposed to happen between like Nadal and Djokovic that got canceled because so I mean it's not just music. I mean it's any sort of entertainment. People are really making an active effort to uh to get these major stars not to do any events there. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, and BTS seem to be self-aware of a lot of um kind of political issues around the world. They spoke at the UN. They've it, had a lot of positive messaging just, you know, in the sense of encouraging their fans to be themselves and they, you know, want the best for their fans. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're turned away by, you know, kind of um, bad practices on that side of the world. I guess sort of on the flip side of that too. Um, I mean, even just the places you were naming, because obviously we know BTS is a, you know, a Korean East Asian phenomenon. We've seen it here in the U S but I guess for people who may not realize just, just how deeply global the impact is. I mean, you're mentioning Brazil. I mean, the fact that they're in demand in Saudi Arabia, you know, it's not a place I would have ever, you know, really, thought you know that bts would, would would have a huge market for so 
you know, if you didn't realize that this was, you know, not just a, a U.S., Korea, you know, kind of Eng- England, Western world phenomenon, this is a truly, truly global thing. That's, that's crazy. Definitely. And, I mean, we've... We've seen it as well with GOT7, Blackpink. They're starting to be just as global as BTS. They're um, not necessarily playing stadiums here, but they are playing sold-out arenas. So uh, it's no longer just kind of a a one-off. It's a full genre takeover. Something that might have been, uh, I guess, maybe unexpected uh, before this year, but considering uh, we'll start to, to get into some other nostalgia shows, but uh, Spice Girls have had one of the biggest stadium tours of uh, summer 2019. Yeah, and and that's that was a pretty confined tour. They did 13 dates, and it was all in England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. They haven't traveled even further throughout Europe or you know, let alone the U.S. or South America or anywhere else. Uh, and they still were able to gross about $78 million from 13 shows. Nice work if you can get it. Wow. <laughs> Pretty crazy numbers. There's only four of them on stage. Posh Spice isn't there. So even a better split of the money of the profit <laughs> for the four spices left standing. But, uh, but yeah, incredible business, even bigger than the reunion tour that they did in 2007, 2008. Similar business, but even better this time around. So... I think some fans around the world are still waiting to see if they're going to expand the tour and travel elsewhere, go to Asia, go to the U.S., what have you. Um, but even if it's just the, that uh, European tour, it, uh, it's a pretty good year for the Spice Girls. Well, they did the, they did well. Like they reunited a couple times since, like I think at the Olympics, right? The 2012 Olympics, and then maybe I think like the, the musical or something opened in London. Viva Spice Girls, so. Yeah, I haven't seen too much of them this decade. But a couple appearances, this, but yeah, yeah, this was the first time you could pay to see them together. Um, and a lot of people did. They averaged $6 million a night, over 50,000 tickets per show. So yeah, We had uh, the Rua pop, uh, family pop trio on the podcast a few, uh, few weeks ago at this point, And they were uh, touring. They were opening for Westlife in London. And Alana, one of the members, she was saying how... Uh, as it was the the biggest thing in the world for them to be opening for Westlife, but uh, she was wondering how one of those nights she was going to make it cross town to see Spice Girls after they did their opening set. So even the other artists who were uh, touring the same night, uh, if you grew up with the Spice Girls back then, this is this is a total event, and I guess that kind of plays into to Elton John we were talking about and Bob Seger, and if you're a little bit younger, Spice Girls. Uh, these are acts that haven't had a, li- a little bit younger. <laughs> a little bit, little bit younger. Uh, these are acts that haven't had new hits in 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 years, I mean, decades in some cases. It's uh, you're just going uh, to hear the music. It's almost uh, you just want to say maybe in some ways, maybe for all these years uh, you've never seen this act. It's kind of one of those things you have to check off the list. That yep, I've seen this person. I've heard all those hits live. I mean, in the context of the farewell tours that we were talking about earlier, the Spice Girls haven't announced this as a farewell tour, but it may as well be. You know, who knows the next time they're going to tour? So yeah, this is your opportunity if you're a fan to see them. Um, just the way that people want to see Elton John one last time or Bob Seger one last time. I mean, yeah, Gary, that point is always is like mind blowing to me because it's like the Spice Girls probably are contained in like a four year like period of pop history. Like maybe you would say like ninety six, seven to two thousand. You know, it just yeah, I mean, just like how they like extrapolated that in terms of like massive fan base. And I know, I mean, there's this this. Uh, 
out of like kind of part of the 20 year cycle or whatever because i know like emma stone is a huge spice girls fan confess we've seen adele like you know like you know go all crazy for them so it's like yeah for some like I, it's interesting because at first i was like why would 2019 be like a bigger you know like, the, like why would this 20 year period do better than like the 10 year show 10 years ago but there's something about it like i don't know it's in the cultural water where i guess the people who grew up with the spice girls are like old enough to be celebrities I was now say, if, and if make you that, were if you were a girl growing yeah. up in in 97 98 when they were on the hot 100 then they had uh, a reunion uh, song in, in 2007 but yeah confined to, to 97 98 on the hot 100 maybe you were you know, born in the mid '80s, so now you're in your mid '30s. That's that's prime ticket buying uh, audience. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just the Spice Girls. That goes for a lot of the other nostalgia tours that have been huge this year. I know you were recently at the New Kids on the Block show. They're they're fascinating to me because you know they came back in I think 2008 after being on hiatus for like 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and it's not just one tour that they've been able to get people to come to because oh, it's your one time to see the New Kids on the Block. They've been touring consistently since then. It's been over 10 years at this point, and they do really well every time. I saw that show in Boston. So I'm from Boston. Blue Kids are in Boston. Uh, it was so it was the whole mixtape tour with uh, Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. If you listen to this podcast, you know they're they're friends of the podcast. They've been on uh, multiple times each at this point. Uh, Naughty by Nature and Salt and Pepper also are on the tour. Uh, they got a great response uh, doing their uh, their hits. So uh, yeah, it was really cool shows at TD Garden. Uh, they did two nights. I saw the first night recently at the end of June. Uh, new kids come out. They do a bunch of their hits, and then uh, sort of like a mixtape, different acts would sort of sprinkle in. All of a sudden, uh, Tiffany's on stage doing "I Think We're Alone Now," and then uh, Debbie Gibson comes out and she's doing her hits. Uh, at the end, she did a, a really nice version of "Lost in Your Eyes" with Joey McIntyre. So kind of mixing a little bit, but uh, yeah, it just had a, a real mixtape feel about it. Uh, there's a really cool moment where uh, Donnie Wahlberg uh, went into, not even just out into the floor, he went up into the stands. You know, someone handed him a beer. He just drank uh, some beer uh, from, from a fan. And then he took the mic. And uh, yeah, I know it's somewhat, uh, it's scripted. They, they plan to do this. But uh, I, I thought he, he really hit uh, the heart of, and this goes back to BTS too and, and boy bands. Uh, it really hit them how much uh, to be doing a hometown show uh, over 30 years after they broke through. They really seemed like they just couldn't believe how uh, they're still uh, so beloved all these years later. But they said uh, the key line he said was uh, all the critics who, who kind of dismissed New Kids music as, as uh, frothy pop. He said uh, they didn't underestimate us. They underestimated you. The fans, and I know that's kind of a, a fan service a way to just uh, get cheers, but it, it kind of points out to, especially with boy bands, how fans are—they're they're kind of that extra member of all these bands that uh, you might think that they had this one moment, maybe uh, like we're saying, Spice Girls or uh, New Kids in the late '80s, where these acts just have maybe maybe a sort of quick run when they're just the biggest thing. But fans remember that, and and uh, for for female fans who were uh, loving New Kids back then, they take it with them, and that love that fans have that that super fandom uh, can really just lift a band uh, higher than than the critics probably ever expected no it's a cheesy sentiment to an extent but i kind of buy into it you know for 
ever, the bedrock of the box score charts has been classic rock and a lot of acts from the 70s and 80s who can tour forever on all of their hits, the Rolling Stones, U2, um, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, now we're getting to the point where, you know, if we're talking about nostalgia going back to the 90s, rock is starting to not be the cultural juggernaut that it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even further in the 2000s and in this decade, you know, there's going to become classic pop. And we're looking at the new kids on the block, the Backstreet Boys, the Spice Girls. um, And, you know, even further when we start getting 10, 15 years from now, it'll be Pink and Beyonce and Britney Spears. And no, not, not now we're going to go dust off the leotards to go see Beyonce. I'm not dusting off anyone. I'm just saying that as time goes on, pop acts are going to kind of take the reins. And I think for a long time, uh, pop was really dismissed on the other side of rock as being kind of frivolous and superficial. And we're seeing that those fans have kind of held up over time. The new kids on the block tour, also kind of reminds me even a generation later b2k has had a lot of success on the road this year the millennium tour it was b2k chingy the ying yang twins mario lloyd bobby v and i think there's one pretty ricky all of them on the same stage doing way bigger business than any of them did in their prime uh you know around the beginning of the 2000s yes pretty ricky Ricky. (laughs) Grind with me, pretty Ricky. What? And it's pretty incredible. I mean, part of it is just inflation, as we kind of mentioned before. But I was looking at B2K's tour in 2003. The highest ticket, the, the most amount of money you could have spent to go see B2K was $40. The cheapest ticket this year was $45.50. Tickets went up to $150 plus. And that's A, inflation. B, their fans now being old enough to really spend and maybe see just kind of nostalgia rearing its head and you're wanting to spend that much money to see an act that only cost $40 way back when. Well, these package, I mean, these package deals are, are, are I mean, how great is that? Because I think, you know, so, sort of one of the complaints that people have about seeing sort of an older act, you know, on a, on a new tour is that, you know, we're going to get four songs that are classics that we all like and then we're, we're going to have to sit through you know 10 songs from the new album that I'm not really interested in and when you you package these artists together you kind of I guess maybe to some degree to the detriment of the artist but at least for the fans I mean you kind of ensure that it's going to be like a greatest hit set you know a greatest hits EP from everybody that you know if Chingy only has four songs you know he's he's probably going to play the four songs that you want to hear the most or B2K you know you know so I think in a way that kind of encourages fans who may not go see these acts sort of solo on their own, um, even maybe at the same or a similar price point to at least go now because you know that if you get these seven people, you're going to get seven hits. All right. So uh, another uh, thing you've been tracking, Eric, is uh, Vegas residencies. And uh, you saw a couple of these shows uh, last month, right? Yeah, I was in Vegas uh, at the end of May. I saw Celine Dion uh, at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace and that was pretty cool to see because it was her last week or two in Las Vegas after 16 years there she just wrapped she grossed over 600 million dollars over her time there and you know when I was watching her show and thinking back to when it was announced back in 2003 it really wasn't that safe of a bet it wasn't very cool to be in Vegas and Celine was kind of a a, a new beginning for Las Vegas residencies and it was um Pretty great to see her at 
at the tail end of that. She's going out on a world tour starting this fall. Uh, she sounded as good as ever. Uh, there are a bunch of covers in the set. It was it was a really great performance. Um, and and I saw Lady Gaga the following night uh, doing her Enigma show. Also great, and and also kind of to the point of those nostalgia tours of you know packaging all those artists together, and you're only getting the hits. It's kind of similar in Las Vegas. You're seeing probably acts who have a lot more hits than Chingy and Pretty Ricky. No offense to them, but you know the, the when, they, set, when they jump you, you'll know why. The the set list for Celine Dion and Lady Gaga, you know, they're not pointed toward a new album where you're hearing all of the deep cuts from that album that they're trying to promote. It's really a full set list of hits. Lady Gaga opened with Just Dance, Poker Face, and Love Game right off of the top. So you just felt like, you know, it was a party vibe. Everyone was there to have fun, enjoy it. Um, I did kind of feel like the crowd at Celine were people who were in Vegas, maybe some high rollers going out for a nice night on the town. People were dressed up at that show. It felt like a nice Vegas theater show. Uh, at Gaga's, it seemed to me that people flew to Vegas to see Lady Gaga. It was her fans coming to see that show. I'm sure there were other people who, you know, are there because it's Vegas and it's a fun thing to do. But uh, I think there were a lot of little monsters in the room. It's kind of wild, too, how, I, I mean, even just in the past couple of years, just the the amount of acts and, and who is now doing these Vegas residencies. I mean, even just here, we got, I mean, you got Janet Jackson, you've got Christina Aguilera, you've got Aerosmith, you've got... Uh, Mariah Carey, you know, trading off at certain dates. You've got uh, Cardi B. I think is is heading that way. I mean, mm-hmm. to think. I mean, to think that Cardi B, in who has not even put out two albums yet, is heading to Vegas. I mean, what is wh- why why is why are Vegas residencies really like the thing again? Well, f- I mean, for Cardi B, it also it's kind of a midpoint between someone like Celine or Gaga and all of the DJs who set up shop in Vegas, like Zed and Calvin Harris and Tiesto, they have residencies where they're kind of just kind of spinning at nightclubs and they get paid a ton of money. And it's not necessarily, I don't know if people are necessarily paying money. uh, It's not necessarily a ticket to see like a Zed concert, but more just like a night out at a club and Zed happens to be there. I'm not quite sure what the Cardi B or Drake residencies look like if it's kind of a midpoint between them. Um, But I think on that side of things, Vegas is you know, a place where people go to party and spend money. So it's not too surprising to me that people have realized that they can really get paid in Vegas. Um, And especially, you know, Cardi's talked about, you know, whether or not she wants to go on tour, how financially profitable it is for her. Maybe Vegas is a place where she can get paid a flat fee and, you know, not have to worry about the production because the casino is going to pay for all of that. And, you know, who knows? Highlights uh, from both. The Gaga and Celine Dion shows. Where there was there one song from each or one yes, specific there has to be. highlight? Uh, I think for Celine. Well, I'll say for Celine, it, it probably was "My Heart Will Go On." You know, I was like eight or nine years old when Titanic came out. That song was so incredibly ubiquitous, and it's the kind of song that I never really thought about seeing live by the original performer and hearing that intro that flute or i don't know what instrument it is playing that introduction song uh it was kind of crazy and almost like surreal in a way is the visual tied to yeah so the song it started off by actually i assume it was recorded and not live although i'm not sure but it sounded like a recorded vocal by celine singing the melody of that introduction kind of surround sound all around 
the theater. Um, and obviously everyone was going crazy. And then, you know, the, the band came in and actually started the song. She was in the middle of the stage and at a certain point in the middle, she was on a little platform that raised up and it looked like there was water pouring down all around her, swirling around. So they, they made the most of that moment because I think, you know, everyone knows that that, or everyone I think would agree that that's the most recognizable, iconic Celine Dion song. So that was definitely a highlight. In all the good times I find myself longing for change And in the bad times I fear myself For Gaga... I mean, the encore was shallow, and that was, you know, I've seen her a couple times. That was the first time I've seen her perform that song since it's brand new. Um, did Brad roll through? Bradley did not come out, unfortunately. Brad. I think he's only made it to one of the Vegas shows, or at least made it on stage for one of the Vegas shows. Uh, but it feels like, uh, you know, from Joanne, and which had a million reasons, and even going back to You and I and some of the slower songs Gaga's had, it, it seems like Shallow is finally that kind of stadium ballad that she's been working towards that's really going to stick and, you know, be signature for her. So who does she do Shallow with? Is she just sing, sings it all herself? herself? She did Bradley's yeah. first herself. She yeah. said, tell me something, girl, and all through the end. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier talking about Gaga when it's, the set list is mostly like a lot of the hits. And you said she started out with Just Dance and Poker Face, Love Game. To that point, does she keep the songs pretty faithful and traditional to what they are? Because sometimes, you know, she's really good at turning, you know, high energy songs into, a, you know, ballads on the piano or something. So does she flip it, things like that? Or is it mostly like the way you remember it? In, it was pretty in true way. to form. And even some of the times I've seen her before, I've heard The Edge of Glory very slowed down on the piano or Born This Way is very slowed down on the piano. This was a very high-energy pop show. And I, th I think she knows being in Vegas, people are coming for that. There's a lot of production. She started doing Just Dance suspended way above the crowd. She flew in with her guitar. At one point, there's this, like, giant animatronic robot kind of thing. She was just standing on top of it while performing. So it was um, it was all guns blazing, very upbeat, very high energy. That guitar is going in a museum one day. It has to. I wonder if like, it's the same one because... That's so. That's that's like that's that's low key iconic for Gaga. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it. Uh, the day that I saw Gaga was the first date of this second leg of the residency, and that was also the opening day of this exhibit that they've opened in the Park MGM with a lot of Gaga's iconic uh, outfits and dresses and accessories and all that stuff in glass cases. It's kind of like a museum exhibit, and they would let people go in and out and take photos. And it, it was really cool to see the meat dresses in there. Um, at one point, Gaga came out during the day and waved and took some pictures and was in there. It was, it was a very cool exhibit, but perhaps at some point they'll add the guitar. Yeah, at some point. Okay, so uh, to wrap it up, well, we'll leave the future to the future. Let's, let, let's bring it uh, one last note about the present. Uh, Billy Joel is on the cover of this week's Billboard magazine. Uh, it's a lot of Billies we've been talking about today. Billy Eichner, Billy Eilish, now Billy Joel. So he has that long-standing residency at New York's Madison Square Garden. Um, played over 50 shows there on, on like a monthly series basis. Um, so we're celebrating Billy Joel and all his accomplishments with that this week. What What is Billy Joel up to? Can you give us some numbers on uh, where Billy stands? Because he's been breaking in a lot of money for a lot of years. 
off that one venue. He has. He he started this residency in January of 2014, and like you said, is more or less played once a month there. Uh, so it's 66 shows total now. The most recent one was July 11th, so I guess that was last Thursday. Um, and so far, the residency itself has grossed $145 million. That's a pretty incredible total at one venue over the course of five years. Uh, over the course of his career, Billy Joel has grossed $896 million. He's sold over 13 million tickets. He's among the 20 highest grossing acts in the history of Billboard Box Score. Uh, he's done a ton of touring with Elton John, who we were talking about earlier. They are the second highest grossing co-headline pair of all time. Only Beyonce and Jay-Z have topped them and by a very narrow margin. Um, and uh, And actually his Billy Joel's most recent concert that wasn't at Madison Square Garden was at Wembley Stadium on June 22nd, and that was actually the highest-grossing one-night engagement of his career. So he's not slowing down anytime soon. I mean, not bad for a guy who hasn't put out an album in 25 years. But it just goes to show how much, you know, for so many people, uh, his music is really woven into the fabric of, of their lives and... You know, there's so many, I guess, different different phases of Billy Joel, whether you knew him from 52nd Street or maybe a lot of kids nowadays know We Didn't Start the Fire or um, even like Tell Her About It or Uptown Girl, some of those more, you know, fun 80s songs. But he's one of those people who really just, you know, I, I mean, everybody, no matter, you know, where you come from or, or when you join the Billy Joel train, there's like two or three of those hits that you just know so well and you just can't help but, but enjoy. It's hard to think of many other artists who could do what he's doing at Madison Square Garden, even if it's not in New York, maybe it's their own hometown. I can't think of many people who could play for five years plus without leaving a single ticket unsold every month. It's pretty incredible. All right, Billy Joel live, wrapping us up on the Billboard Charity Podcast. You good? You on? Here we go. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.